So as I mentioned before, Dav will be uh, preaching from Mark chapter 12 again in a minute. So it's entitled The Parable of the Tenants. Jesus then began to speak to them in parables. A man planted a vineyard. He put a wall round it, digged the pit for the vine press and, a, and built a watchtower. Then he rented the vineyard to some farmers and moved to another place. At harvest time, he sent a servant to the tenants to collect from them some of the fruit of the vineyard. But they seized him, beaten him, and sent him away empty-handed. Then he sent another servant to them, then struck him on the head and treated him shamefully. He sent him another. He still sent another. Then one killed them. He sent many others, sent some of them beaten, others then killed. He had one left to send, a son, whom he loved. He sent him last of all, saying, They will respect my son. But the tenant said to, another, to one another, This is his heir. Come, let kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. So they took him and killed him and threw him out of the vineyard. What then will the owner of the vineyard do? He will come and kill those tenants and give the vineyard to others. Haven't you read this passage of scripture? The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this, and it's marvelous in our eyes. Then the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders looked for a way to arrest them, because they knew he had spoken the parable against them. But they were afraid of the crowd, so they left them and went away. A very good morning to you all. It is great to see each and every single one of you, and it is such a privilege again to study God's Word together. So it's Mark chapter 12, verses 1 to 12, the parable of the tenants, and it's on page 1017, 1017 in the church Bibles. But to begin, let's remember the three important questions that the book of Mark answers for us. Three very important questions. And the first one is, who is Jesus? The answer is found in the book of Mark. Why did Jesus come? And then thirdly, what does it mean to follow Jesus? So important that we know the answers to those questions. And not just intellectually, but believe it in our heart and actually live it out. Who is Jesus? Why did Jesus come? What does it mean to follow Jesus? And when we know the answers to those questions, believe it with all our heart and live it out, we will never be the same again. And the answer to those questions are found in the book of Mark. Actually, you could probably take a highlighter. If you picked a color for each question, maybe yellow for who is Jesus, blue for why did Jesus come, and then orange maybe for what does it mean to follow Jesus. The book of Mark will be full of highlighted colors because it's constantly telling us who Jesus is, why he came, and what's involved in following him. But what's amazing about the first question, who is Jesus, is that there's two answers to that question. In the book of Mark, we see that Jesus is God and he's also man. It's a bit like the picture with two faces on it. Have you seen that picture? 
some people get very frustrated with these sort of, is it an optical illusion, you'd maybe call it? Can you see the two faces in that picture? You can see a face of maybe a young, beautiful woman, and you can also see a picture of an old, ugly lady, maybe. Can you see that? Maybe you're getting very frustrated looking at that picture. Can you see the two faces? How many of you can see one face? How many of you can see two faces? Yeah, I think almost everyone can. And in the book of Mark, we sort of see the two faces of Jesus, as it were. We see his human nature and his divine nature. Jesus, 100% God and also 100% man. But, as we've noticed, as we read through the book of Mark, we also see a lot of spiritual blindness. We meet many people who can't see who Jesus is. They can only see the human side of Jesus. Well, that is Jesus of Nazareth, the carpenter. Isn't he the one with brothers and sisters, Mary's son? They can't see that Jesus is God. And I'd just like to stop for a moment. Do you know the answer to those questions? Do you know who Jesus is? Do you know why Jesus came? Do you know what it means to follow him? And do you believe the answers to those questions with all your heart? And are you living it out? Are you following Jesus faithfully to what the Bible says? Well, we're especially going to be thinking about the first question this morning. Who is Jesus? And the answer is found in Mark chapter 12, verses 1 to 12, in the parable of the tenants. But let's remind ourselves of the context of Mark chapter 12, verses 1 to 12, the parable of the tenants, with Mark chapter 11, verses 15 to 18. What do we read there? Mark chapter 11, verses 15 to 18. On reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple courts and began driving out those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves and would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. And as he taught them, he said, Is it not written... My house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. Now, humanly speaking, this wasn't a good move for Jesus. The temple was the workplace of the high priest, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law. Can you imagine if someone came into your workplace and started tipping tables over, started chasing people out, and was stopping people from doing their work? It just wouldn't go down well, would it? Now, some of you might know, I used to work in an Amazon warehouse in Swansea. Now, could you imagine if someone turned up in the warehouse, started switching off the conveyor belts, and started turning off the computers, and stopped the lorries from coming into the dock, stop the wagons and the containers from coming into the dock. The managers would be going bananas, wouldn't they? Said, what do you think you're doing? And this man was saying, you're doing everything wrong. I'm going to stop what's going on in this warehouse. 
But could you imagine if that man was Jeff Bezos, the owner of Amazon? <laughs> He's got every right to do it, doesn't he? But the managers don't actually know who he is. They don't actually know who Jeff Bezos is, what he looks like, that he is the owner of Amazon. Now, if Jesus wanted to make friends with the chief priests and the teachers of the law, if Jesus just wanted to become popular, this probably wasn't the best way to go about doing it. But that's not why Jesus came, was it? Jesus was more concerned with truth and God's glory than making friends with the chief priests and the teachers of the law and becoming popular among them. And that's a challenge for us, isn't it? What are you most concerned about? Are you most concerned about making friends with everyone and being popular with everyone? Are you more concerned with truth and God's glory? Jesus was so uncompromising here. And sometimes we have to say things and do things that will offend people, that won't make us popular. But we have to stand up for the truth and God's glory. So humanly speaking, you could say what Jesus did in Mark eleven fifteen to 17 is what got him killed, humanly speaking. Because what do we read in verse 18? The chief priests and the teachers of the law heard this and began looking for a way to kill him. For they feared him because the whole crowd was amazed at his teaching. And then in verse 28, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders ask Jesus a couple of questions, don't they? What do we read there? Let's start with verse 27. They arrived again in Jerusalem, and while Jesus was walking in the temple courts, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders came to him. By what authority are you doing these things, they asked. Who gave you authority to do this? In other words, they're asking Jesus, who on earth do you think you are? What right have you got to do what you were doing? But of course, Jesus had every right to do what he did. Because the temple was called the house of God. And Jesus called the temple my father's house. It was Jesus, his heavenly father's house. It was Jesus, his family home. Could you imagine if someone came into your home and just rearranged everything? Then you'd have every right to put things back as they should be, wouldn't you? This is my family home. Things should be the way that we want them to be. And that's what Jesus is doing. This is our family home. This is a mess. What have you done with our family home? The Father's house, my house, the Spirit's house. Jesus was putting things right. But Jesus doesn't really answer their question, does he? What do we read in verses 29 through to verse 33? Jesus replied, I'll ask you one question. Answer me, and I will tell you by what authority I'm doing these things. John's baptism. Was it from heaven or of human origin? Tell me. They discussed him among themselves and said, if we say 
from heaven, he will ask, then why didn't you believe him? But if we say of human origin, they feared the people, for everyone held that John really was a prophet. So they answered Jesus, we don't know. Jesus said, neither will I tell you by what authority I'm doing these things. So Jesus didn't directly answer their question there. But in Mark chapter 12, verses 1 to 12, Jesus does answer their question with a parable. As Luke said, a story with a deep and sometimes a hidden meaning. And in this parable, Jesus tells the religious authorities exactly who he is. And he also tells the religious authorities who they are. But in this parable as well, we learn something of God the Father. So let's get into this parable. Mark chapter 12, verse 1. What do we read there? Jesus then began to speak to them in parables. A man planted a vineyard. He put a wall around it, dug a pit for the winepress, and built a watchtower. So who does the man represent in this parable? Well, the man represents God the Father. And what does the vineyard represent? Well, to the original hearers, which were the religious authorities, the vineyard would have represented the land of Israel, which God had given to the nation of Israel sort of 1,400 years previously, when Joshua sort of led Israel into Canaan, the promised land. But we can also apply this parable to the whole human race today. The vineyard can also represent planet Earth, this world that we live in. So the man is God the Father, and the vineyard is planet Earth. So what do we learn about God the Father from these sentences? Well, we learn that God the Father is a loving creator who generously provides. Isn't God amazing? As we heard last week, isn't God good? God is a loving creator who generously provides. Because what did the man do? The man dug the vineyard and provided everything, didn't he? He provided a wall and a watchtower for security, protection, and safety. And the man also provided a pit and a wine press for producing the wine. And God has lovingly created this beautiful world we live in, hasn't he? This didn't just sort of appear out of thin air. This wonderful world we live in didn't just evolve. It wasn't from a big bang or a cosmic egg or whatever. This was planned and created by the almighty God. And he provides us with everything we need. He provides us with our food and our clothes. Because that is all we really need, isn't it? According to the Bible. What do we read in 1 Timothy chapter 6? This is 6 to 11. Godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap 
and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. So according to God's word, food and clothes, that's all we really need, isn't it? And we just need to make sure we don't live beyond our needs. And we need to make sure that we share food and clothes with those who don't have food and clothes. So God is a loving creator and a generous provider. What do we learn then from the third part of verse 1 in Mark chapter 12? Then he, the man rented the vineyard to some farmers and moved to another place. So who do the farmers or the tenants represent in this parable? Well, again, to the original hearers, the tenants or the farmers specifically represent the nation of Israel or the people of Judah. But for us today, the tenants or the farmers also represents the whole human race who live in this world, doesn't it? So God has lovingly created this world. He generously provides us with everything we need to live on this earth. And he's also allowed us to live here, isn't he? He's given us permission to live here. You can be tenants on this beautiful world. You be farmers. Take care of this world, isn't it? So it's so important for us to remember, we don't own this world. So many human beings think that they own this world, don't they? No, we're just tenants on this world. God owns the world and everything in it. So what do we learn about God from this sentence? Well, God gives the human race freedom and responsibility. God isn't like one of those um, micromanagers, one of those bosses who constantly sort of interferes and interrupts with your work. No, God has given us freedom and responsibility. So God is a loving creator. He generously provides us with everything that we need, and he also gives us freedom and responsibilities. But then, in verses 2 to 5, we see the patience of God. We see that he's also patient. What do we read there? Mark 12, verses 2 to 5. At harvest time, he sent a servant to the tenants to collect from them some of the fruit of the vineyard. But they seized him, beat him, and sent him away empty-handed. Then he sent another servant to them. They struck this man on the head and treated him shamefully. He sent still another, and that one they killed. He sent many others. Some of them they beat, others they killed. So who do the servants represent in this parable? Well, the servants represent the Old Testament prophets and preachers, from Abel to Noah, from Abraham to Joseph, from Moses to to Malachi. And what was the message of the Old Testament preachers and prophets? 
Well, you could sum up their message in maybe one sentence. Give God what is owed to him. Give God what is owed to him. Obey him. Trust him. Love him. And love others. Worship him. Give God what is owed to him. And then God's servants, his preachers and prophets, were ignored. Many of them were ignored. They were mistreated and killed for about 4,000 years. That goes to show how patient God is. Now, if I owned a house and I rented it out to some tenants and I sent a friend to collect the rent and they beat my friend up, I don't know about you, but what would you do? I'd phone the police straight away, wouldn't you? I said, look, I sent my friend to collect the rent and they beat him up straight to the police. No messing. I wouldn't send more friends and let them get killed as well. But praise God that God isn't like us. He is patient. I'd only give that person one chance, the wicked tenant. But God is so patient with us. For 4,000 years, he's been patiently sending preachers and prophets to tell the world, and especially the nation of Israel, to give God what is owed to him. Obey him. Trust him. Love him, love others, worship him. He's the one true living God who created you, who provides for you. But as a human race, what have we done? Well, we've behaved as if we didn't owe God anything, have we? As a human race, we behaved as if we didn't owe God anything. As a human race, we behaved as if God didn't exist. As though he didn't own this world and everything in it. But God still didn't run out of patience with the world, did he? And the nation of Israel. Even after 4,000 years. Look what he does next in verse 6. Mark chapter 12. This is his, like, last resort, isn't it? He had one left to send, a son whom he loved. He sent him last of all, saying, they will respect my son. So who does the son of the man represent in this parable? Well, obviously, Jesus, the son of God. God, the eternal son. And here is Jesus' answer. Mark chapter 12, verse 6 is Jesus' answer to the question of the religious authorities. Do you remember the question the religious authorities asked Jesus in Mark chapter 11, verse 28? Who on earth do you think you are? What gives you the right to do what you were doing? And what is Jesus' answer? I am the Son. I am the Son of God the Father. I am God the Eternal Son. God has given me authority to do these things, and I am his son. God's patience and his love with us is so great that he sends his son. He sends his son. 
But Jesus isn't just a preacher or a prophet, is he? He is God, the eternal son. So how would the tenants treat the son? What do we read in verses 7 to 8 of Mark chapter 12? But the tenants said to one another, this is the heir. Come, let's kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. So they took him and killed him and threw him out of the vineyard. So here, Jesus is telling the religious authorities who they are. And this is what you are like. You are violent, murderous people. You are trying to kill the Son of God. That's what you are. As you are planning to kill me, you're planning to kill God the Son. And that's what we did. As a human race, we have killed the Son of God. And you might be thinking, well, I wasn't in Jerusalem 2,000 years ago. I didn't kill Jesus. Oh, but it was my sin and your sin that put Jesus on the cross. Like the song goes, it was my sin that held him there. Jesus wouldn't have had to die on a cross if we were sinless, would he? We are guilty of putting Jesus to the cross. We've behaved like the tenants in this parable, haven't we? We haven't given God what is owed to him. We haven't obeyed God as we should, have we? We haven't trusted him and loved him with all our heart, soul, and mind. We haven't loved our neighbors or ourselves. And that is sin. And it is sin that nailed Jesus to the cross. So what does the man do now? The man who represents God. The man has been generous, he's been patient, he's sent his son. What should God do with a human race who've disobeyed him? Who've crucified his son to a cross? I heard um, a story about a primary school teacher and it was the end of term and she gave a project for the class. She said, Class, I want you to create a world. We've got some Lego and plasticine, so I want you to sort of create a world. And the teacher was a Christian, so she wanted to teach them the Christian message. So there the children made sort of animals, and they made trees, and they made flowers, and it looked beautiful. And then the teacher said, now I want you to make some human beings as well. So they made a man and a woman, and they put them in this world. And then the teacher said, now I want you to make some rules for the man and the woman in this world. So the children came up with some rules. Oh, they have to be kind to each other, and they have to look after the trees and the flowers. They have to look after the animals. And then the teacher said, now I want you to imagine that this man and woman that you've created, that you've put in this world that you've created, I want you to imagine that they believe that you don't exist. And they ignore all of your rules. How would you feel? And this one little girl, a sweet, cute, shy little girl, she went bright red and she ran over to the model and she ripped the head off the people. (laughs) She just ripped the head off like that. (laughs) Because she was angry. 
How dare these people, how dare these people we've been kind to, we've created them, how dare they ignore us, ignore our rules, and believe that we don't exist. But God is so patient with us. He's far more patient than that little girl. But God is also just, isn't he? God is just. What do we read in verse 9 of Mark chapter 12? What then will the owner of the vineyard do? He will come and kill those tenants and give the vineyard to others. When we read verse 9, our reaction should be, well, that's fair enough, isn't it? They've beaten up the man's servants. They've killed some of the man's servants. And they've killed his only son. Of course he should kill those wicked tenants and give the vineyard to others. God is generous and God is patient. But there will come a day when he'll have to punish those who haven't given him what is owed to him. And here's a question this morning. Have you given God what is owed to him, what you owe him. What do we owe him? We owe him our obedience, our trust, our love, and our worship. So you might be thinking, well, I haven't done that. I haven't done that perfectly. I haven't obeyed God perfectly. I haven't trusted him perfectly, loved him perfectly. I haven't loved other people perfectly. So are we just waiting for the inevitable then? So we are all bad tenants, aren't we? We're all bad farmers living in this world. Are we just waiting for God to come and kill us? Or is there a rescue? Well, praise God, there is a rescue. That's what we read in verses 10 and 11, isn't it? What do we read there? Haven't you read this passage of Scripture, Jesus said? Haven't you read Psalm 118? I know you're familiar with it, Psalm 118, because you were quoting it just a few days ago. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Have you actually read the whole psalm, Jesus is basically saying? The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this, and it is marvelous in our eyes. So God is in the business of turning bad things into good God says, you meant it for evil, but I meant it for good. So picture the scene. You've got a building site. And you've got an architect. And the architect gives them the plans. And he says, build a house with these plans. And I'm going to provide you with all the materials. But I'm also going to provide you with a cornerstone. Now, when you build this house, you've got to use the cornerstone. Use this stone to build the house on. The cornerstone or the foundation stone or the setting stone is important because all the other stones will be set in reference to this stone. The cornerstone will determine the shape of the house. You don't use the cornerstone, the house is going to be a mess. But what do the builders do? They ignore the architect, they ignore the architect's plans, and they ignore the cornerstone. They actually take the cornerstone and they throw it outside of the building site. And they just start building their own house. 
And they build this house which has bad foundations. It's crooked and it's wonky. It's a mess. And then the architect comes along and he does take the cornerstone and he does build a proper house, a safe and secure and a strong house. And he lives in there, the architect. And then the bad builders, they experience a storm one night. And the building is about to come down and kill them all. What does the architect do? He goes into the bad house and he tells them, out, out of here, you're going to die in here. Come into the house that's built on the cornerstone and you'll be rescued, you'll be safe. And that's what God the Father has done to us. You are in danger. You're in danger of destruction. Come to the cornerstone. Build your life on him. The bad builder's house, without the cornerstone, was shapeless and dangerous, wasn't it? And our lives will be shapeless and dangerous if we don't build our lives on Jesus, the cornerstone. And the rejection of the cornerstone was Jesus' death on the cross. What do we read there? The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this, and it is marvelous in our eyes. So it was all God's amazing plan. It was God's marvelous plan for God the Son to suffer, bleed, and die for my sin and your sin on the cross. The cornerstone is Jesus Christ, his death, and his resurrection. So what are we to do? We're to come to Jesus, the cornerstone today, in faith and repentance. And we're to build our lives on him. There's also a challenge for the Christians here today. Are we building our lives on Jesus, the cornerstone, every day? Are we good tenants in God's vineyard, in his world? Are we giving God what is owed to him? Do we trust him? Do we obey him? Do we love him? Do we love others?